Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Start and end your day with the good news. The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, friends. So excited about our testimony today. It is just one of my favorites of all times. And since we're, I would say, kind of a half black, half crew, uh, half white crew of uh, good news gals, um, I don't know. This, it was special to me to see this story and hear this story. And so when I share it with you, uh, just uh, keep in mind, this is not just a, a white man that you're going to hear from. This is a white man who hated anybody that didn't look like him and went to prison. And when he came out, uh, when he got a knock on the door to get you know, his uh, parole officer call, it was a black woman. And so um, she, I'll never forget, saw like some of the white supremacy stuff on his walls and like the Nazi, you know, sign, et cetera. Uh, So she looks at the swastika and says, don't you think you should put something more uplifting up there, like a smiley face or something, something that'll bring you a little happiness and positivity every day? It wasn't really judgmental of who he was, just like trying to encourage him to have a better life, live a better life. And so uh, we we've profiled them before, but now uh, their Christian testimony is going to be shared. It's on I Am Second, one of our favorite websites for sharing testimonies. So we're going to hear from that in a minute. We've got some of the good news gals here. My mom, Shirley, fresh out of the hospital here visiting us. She's been in the hospital for a week, gave me a little scare. Thankfully, it wasn't a uh, stroke, but always good to uh, react right away when you start to see things that are off a little. Uh, Donna, who just uh, had a wonderful uh, call. You can join the Jericho Girls now once a month they have a really encouraging uplifting conference call you can join in on and you can go to angieaustinradio.com and email me and i'll get you in touch with donna to get the link if you'd like to do that it's the first thursday tuesday first thursday first thursday mm-hmm. of every, every month. month first thursday yep. thursday of every month and michelle is here and monique is here and uh, it was so cool you guys last week my little teeniest kid faith was so excited because she took a basketball uh, clinic, uh, like a one-week camp, and your girls were there, and it was so cute when I told them that they'd be there. She acted like she was going to go see Beyonce or like Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, cute. She was jumping I, up and down. I told Alicia, I said, Alicia, Miss Angie said that um, Faith acted like you were Beyonce, and she was like, Mama, have she ever heard me sing? I'm like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I have to tell you, because you know how a lot of people say that she looks like your husband, mm-hmm. and she was wondering if that meant that she looked like a guy? She is so beautiful, and every time I see her now, I think about how beautiful she is, and I hope she knows that yeah. because you resemble your father does not mean you look like your father. Does that make sense? Because yeah, right. she's so pretty. And, yeah, and I tell her all the time, and, and she knows, and I'm like Alicia, look at your dad. Like he it has got it going on. <laughs> Even though she's like mama, but she's like, look at his stomach. I'm like, it's okay. I love his, his stomach. stomach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they gosh. always pick at him about um he's, he's retired he now. Weight. And I'm like, he's retired. I love his body. Aww. Aww. But he it's does mean. his dance. I wish people can see it. His dance. He pokes his stomach out and he does like this. It's hilarious. He wiggles his tummy around. He wiggles his stomach around. I don't think my husband has ever had a stomach because he's a pencil with hair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he has ever. He weighs what he weighed in high school. And for a while, he lost like 20 pounds. And so when you're 6'6 and like 180, 
That oh is my so goodness. skinny. That's That's yeah, like he had That's to, really he was, good. I had to like put a new notch in the belt. I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> this is so sad. <laughs> Could you eat something? Wow. And then my son, both of them, like, I don't want any breakfast. I don't want, I'm like, dude, are you, you are playing sports for four and five hours a day in the summer with all these camps. Yeah. You have to eat something. Oh, right. All right, so I'm excited to share this story with you. Are you kind of familiar with this? Have I shared it with you guys before? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. I'm just so impressed by the love that she infused in him and to never give up on someone and to not fight hate with hate. Exactly. There yeah. is potential for change. And I think back to that woman, the white woman whose neighborhood changed racially over the years and there were more African-Americans in her neighborhood and she had a Confederate flag, I believe, up. Wasn't that it, Dave? A Confederate flag? That's right. She got That's sick and... She had a change of heart, and they had a ceremony in her neighborhood where she took it down, and her neighbors came over, and she she expressed um, such affection for them and vice versa, them for her, that they didn't hate her because they – because of what they saw as her showing hate in the neighborhood. They didn't hate her back. Does that, does that make sense? Right, yeah. right. It was That's a really cool story, I think, just the way that the community came together. And it was remember, we talked about how unfortunate it was that she needed to have something traumatic to have her change her mind. You she know, it was like, why does thing. it always require this? Yeah. Or why couldn't she have just thought about it and changed her mind? Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned to you guys uh, quite often about my stepmom being from Iran. And so living in a small town in Minnesota at one point in time, you know, uh, you know, my dad, uh, obviously very white dude with a white beard, and my stepmom, you know, from Iran, when they got married, they, they looked, you know, quite a bit different from each other. And I didn't think anything of it until I remember some of the kids in my neighborhood or school or something making some comment about that she was from another country or looked different or whatever. And I hadn't really, I don't know, it never even entered my mind, to be honest with you. Uh, But having not grown up in an environment where people treated people differently because of color, um, it... I know it's been shocking to me or, I don't know, just a reality check. And I think I told you the first time that I was ever anywhere with friends, a group of friends, we were going to Mexico, and it was, you know, mixed race, some of us white, some of us black, in the car. And we were driving through New Mexico, and I was at the gas pump and with my friend Omar. And so it was maybe, I'd say, like six friends. And um, I heard someone say something about those girls were with, um, they said the N-word. And I remember, like, feeling like I was going to puke. Because I didn't even know people talk like that anymore. And I i had to have been, you know, I was in college, so I was probably 19, 20 years old. And I looked at my friend and realized for that split second, it makes me want to cry right now, that people looked at him differently. And I, I was so appalled. And I think I told you guys last year, because um, Michelle, our daughters have been in class before, and Monique, our daughters have too. And so there was a book that her teacher, who was African-American, gave my daughter to um, do a book report on. And it was about a black um, opera singer and how she'd been ostracized, um, you know, and not allowed to sing in certain clubs uh, because of her color. And I went to her teacher and I said, you know what, Hope is so loving. I don't think she's ready for this because I don't want her to know yet that people ever treated other people different because of color, because it's not part of our reality yet. But Faith, I think, could handle it. Faith is more like my little attorney, and she mm-hmm. diplomatically would be like, well, that's wrong, and I can't believe it. Hope would be hurt. Hope would be upset. Hope would cry. She would read that book and be sad. So I thought, well, I'll wait. Now Hope's you know, going into middle school. Now she can, I think, deal with it. But she's so empathetic and takes on so much of other people's pain and cares for people that I just I wasn't ready to 
teach her that. Right. It bothered me too much. Yeah, I'm an empath, so I can understand where you're coming from with being concerned about her. But I do think that it's good for children to be aware of things like that because they need to know when they see it and identify it and maybe even come to the defense of other kids that are being treated differently for the color of their skin. That's really important. And and I think she would. I, well, oh, I, I know I mean, she I, I of course. But um, I just wasn't ready for her to get that in-depth into the, I don't know, the... Uh, unfairness of it all yeah you know the scary thing is though is i wonder if at her age if she saw it she would know what it was she would now but i think she would i yeah i think she always picked up on if people were being treated differently but whether it's because the kids special needs or dressed you know didn't have as much money or you know was feeling pain i always say that she collects the broken birds and i don't mean that in a way that bad like but if someone's hurting at school and sitting on the, the bench the front what is that bench called when they're left at the buddy bench yes. so when kids are left out they sit there she goes and gathers them up mm-hmm. and so i guess i shouldn't say she gathers the broken birds but kids who are hurting and feeling feeling left out she goes to the bench and gets them mm-hmm. that's her way yeah you know all right well let's hear this. do we have enough time for the testimony now that i babbled on and on <laughs> yeah okay cool so again this is a guy who's a white supremacist getting out of prison and then well i think they'll explain it i was 12 years old i finally got me a black friend no animosity nothing we were thick as thieves we got along great he invited me over to his house his mom says, I don't want that blue-eyed devil in my house. He was never allowed to hang out with me, never allowed to talk to me. My first encounter with racism was that day when I got discriminated against. And it's like, why? So from that day forward, you guys ain't liking me, accepting me, no matter what. I said, it's over. By the age of 15, I'm cooking methamphetamine, and I started getting very, very active with a lot of neo-Nazis. Started getting involved with higher-ups, started rallies, started handing out pamphlets, going to state capitol, doing all that stuff. But I've hurt a lot of people. I've hurt a lot of kids when I was kids. Like I said, I don't hurt a, I don't I didn't hurt kids when I was an adult. I hurt these kids and I had their parents coming after me. They're protecting their kids. They're doing what any of us would do to protect our kids. I cried like a little baby the day my son was born. I know if everybody, anybody ever hurt my kid, I'd kill him. And for these people, I freaking hurt, and I destroyed their lives. They're just trying to protect their kid. That's when, that's when I knew I had to walk away. to walk away. I couldn't do it no more. I think when it all started with us, 
besides the being on the parolee or probationee and probation officer thing, they got me was the first time she came to my house because she shows up, flashlight on her car, everything. It's like, who the heck is this? Gained a lot of respect for her because I've never had, not even my own race, not even my own people come to my house by themselves. She showed up that day and it opened my eyes that she had some courage. I had a, an, an idea of who he was by looking at him on paper. Saw the tattoos in the, in the file. And my gut that day wasn't saying, don't go there by yourself. I listened to my gut. If I ever get that, that feeling, that intuition, I, I just say, you know, I'm not gonna go there today. But that day was, okay, yeah, it was nighttime. And I looked around, nothing looked sketchy. And you see how I'm dressed when I go out in the field. I have looked like a SWAT team member. I know that all too well. And when he made that contact with me, he said, by, you're by yourself. Then I was kind of like the hair on my neck stood up and I was like, had my hand on my gun. He's like, yes, I'm by myself. You know, is there any problems? And he was like, I have respect for you. No one's ever come to my house by themselves. They've always come in twos. And then just from there, it just, He's been compliant with me. I've had to talk to him about some issues. You know, hey, I need you to do this or do that. But he turned it around. I never once thought about violating his probation because he was doing what I asked him to do. He always worked. He made payments towards his probation fines and fees. But let me ask you, I want to ask you a serious question, Tiffany. Mm -hmm. Why did you believe in me so much? Why did you keep coming back? Why did you want to help me to change? That's not your job. That wasn't your job. It is your, my job. That's your, why I do my job. Your job is to make sure I'm abiding by all the laws and not messing up committing crimes and doing my obligations. But you put forth you put forth more of an effort than anybody I've had in my life that actually tried to help me. Why? Coming into my house telling me to get rid of things that I I believed in. Mm -hmm. Who the heck are you to tell me to do this? Why did I listen to you? I asked you to do it. I wanted you to be a better person. And that's why I do my job. But if you would have seen me a year later, I would have spit on you. I don't understand why you took this time. And you encouraged me to change my life mm -hmm. when other peers of my people didn't. Probation officers, parole officers, nobody wanted to help me. Why did you? Why did you, why was I your project? You weren't my project. No, but it seemed like that because you're there every step of the freaking way, wanting me to continue being better and better. And you pushed me, you strive. Let's get down all these racist things. Let's get down the flags. Let's get down Hitler. Why don't we put up smiley faces? One of the things we talk about all the time, and it makes me laugh, take down all that negative stuff and start putting up positive stuff. So when you go to bed, you have happy thoughts. And when you wake up, you're going to see the smiley faces and you're going to have a positive day. You didn't have to do that. Like I said, I'm a number. I could have been right back, but you made a project. I wouldn't be a good father. I wouldn't have been a good husband. I wouldn't be a man that I am today. 
if it wasn't for your stubbornness, you're willing to push me. I don't get it, but I'm very thankful that day you came to my gate. You opened my eyes to a lot of things. You let me know there is a lot of beauty in this world beyond color, beyond anything. You know, because you showed me more love than I got from my own race, my own culture. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've ever told you, but I, I love you. You've helped me. You've changed me. The things I've did in my past, the people I've hurt. That's in the past, Michael, you can't. Listen, listen to me for a second. The children and adults that I've hurt back when I was a child and as an adult, how can somebody love me for that? How can somebody respect me and accept me for the things I've did? That's why I've had all that hate in me. Because who would want me? God. I man still... upstairs. You have to believe God has had some, some strong power force. I don't know if it's me that had to come into your life to break down those walls, to bring love into your heart. But that's what it is. I honestly believe that. Two years ago, I would have told you you're a liar. But since I've had time to do things and seeing and being blessed with all the people I've been talking to and meeting, I'm a firm believer of that now. It's just with everything I've been through, I'm actually being at peace with myself. I'm feeling good with myself. And I hate to say it, I got invited to church when my kids were out there, and I felt comfortable and relaxed when I went there. I felt at peace. These last five years, my sense of purpose and faith and with the Lord has grown tremendously. And it's hard for me to understand, fathom, why do I have my clients, not just Michael, but I have a lot of my clients telling me, Tiffany, without you, I wouldn't be where I am. And that's hard for me. I don't understand that. What, are, what have I done? But I have the strong belief that the Lord has is using me as a host for Him. Michael, I'm going to tell you how the Lord feels about you. He sees you as, or he saw you as a young, a young boy. And he's seen you grow into a man. He wants you to spread his word of love, acceptance, forgiveness. And you question how you can be forgiven. He forgives no matter how bad our sins are. You have to forgive yourself. I forgive you.
Whoa. Michael Kent uh, getting uh, Tiffany Whittier as his probation officer, uh, and he had these neo-Nazi uh, tattoos in the story that last year made national news. Uh, he was getting them removed and then showing Tiffany he was getting the hate erased, and so she ended up being named uh, uh, best probation officer, best in Arizona. Uh, for her work. Again, Tiffany Whittier and Michael Kent just showing how love can overcome hate and how she helped teach him uh, that, uh, you know, he could he could be forgiven for all the things he'd done. I just am blown away by that. Wow. I am second. You guys like it? Yes, that wow. was great. Wow, wow, wow. Amazing. It reminds me of the scripture, perfect love casts out fear. Isn't and when, when we're in love, it gets rid of all hate and all of those things. That the good news is about yeah. yes, Michelle. It actually, quite, it rem- reminded me quite a bit of Ian's story last week. Yes, how the pr- officer treated him respectfully and helped yes. him gain a new perspective on his own potential. Yeah, yeah. Wow, had some good stories lately. I hope you enjoyed that. We'll be right back with the good news. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303-238-JANE. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. uh, Yep, absolutely. Uh, A small, big, medium. They'll bring the truck right on over. What's the number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I love... Arc. Welcome back to the good news. So excited to have one of my friends and colleagues, Scotty Nell Hughes, joining us to give us her testimony. She is the author of Roar, The New Conservative Woman Speaks Out, and she is also the chief political correspondent for USA Radio News, and she is a daily contributor to my show, Daybreak USA, which airs on at least one of our Crawford affiliates, and that is uh, 8, 10 a.m. KLBZ in Denver every morning from 4 a.m. until uh, uh, 8 a.m. So there you have it. Scotty Nell Hughes, hello. Such a blessing to be with you, Angie. You are such a delight. You have truly made every morning so much happier for me to get up. You're you're better than an alarm clock. Well, you know what's funny is our, our boss said, oh, I'm going to introduce you to your new BFF. And, you know, on radio, you hear that all the time. You're like, oh, I'm sure we'll like each other. But you actually, you and I actually have become friends. We have. And I think it's because we have, you know, it's so interesting that people think that media is so dark and that most of the people in there, and I can see you, I mean, if you sit there and you cover hard news stories and death and destruction day in and day out, it's real easy to become bogged and to just be torn down. And I think it's because I saw with you being so happy and so bouncy. And if you can be that way at that hour of the morning, like I am, that there's got to be something special with you. And I have been so amazed to find out that it's it's not just because you're just an awesome person, but, but we have kindred spirits in the fact that we're both believers yes. and, and we're women of faith. And I think that's what actually um, has allowed me to be so excited to be a part of you because I love seeing other 
other women like myself in this industry. Well, we've had fun with that. We've had fun, you know, finding out more about each other and being Christian moms. Our kids are similar in age. So I really wanted to get your testimony. We'll talk a little bit of politics and why you got so fascinated with it and became the chief political political correspondent and wrote a book about, you know, uh, conservative women. But let's go back in the Scotty Nell Hughes story. Um, I know you're very family oriented. How did you, uh, how were you raised and how did you get led to Christ? Well, what's amazing about it, you know, some people, you hear these great big testimonies of some sort of tragedy that happened that brought them to Christ. And, and I love those stories. But I think there's actually a lot of us that were kind of just born into it, born into life, born into mothers and fathers and families. Now, prior to me coming to this world, both my mother and father had a very interesting journey into how they found each other. And they truly, even 30 years later, 40 years later, will say, only God could have brought the two of us together. And if you met the two of them, you'd go, yeah, that is definitely God in that marriage because there's no other way it could it could exist. But I think my mother, having gone through a tragedy of losing a son um, to, to a violent crime, and my father being just this amazing actor and, and talented artist, these two finding each other only could have been God in the streets of Atlanta as Jimmy Carter was coming through. And I could not imagine myself today without having the character of both of them. And so I was born, now neither one of them when I was born were believers, but my mother was down the street in the neighborhood, she said, and there was this woman who came in and her 16-year-old daughter came in, was just a ray of light. And my mother looked at her and said, how did you raise a girl that wonderful? How did you? And she says, honey, you need to get in the church. You need to get your daughter in church from day one. And my mother and father went down and found our New Hope Community Church. And from that moment forward, we were we were in church. But more importantly, my mother just found became this lover. And so from the day that I actually remember, I always remember being in church and being in the belief. But that itself so, can be so hard, too. It was a 16-year-old girl that um, loved Jesus and was such a bright light that your mom was like, wow, I want my daughter to be raised like that. And... Then they started taking the family you to church. That's exactly what it is. And it was just because, and I don't think people realize how much your light can shine and how much of a difference it makes. And so, and you don't have to say anything, just having that. And so that is exactly what happened in my mother's world. And she said, I want my daughter to be just like that. Now, I have no idea who that, that couple is. Now, I have no idea who that daughter is. I would love to see her and say thank you to her. But either way, that is what we have to realize as Christian women, that sometimes we don't have to say a word and we still make a difference. Wow. That is such a cool testimony and a strong statement for just the way you behave and act that you can be that bright light for Jesus. Okay, so your parents start going to school, they be, or to church, they become Christians. Yes. And then when I say they become Christians, Christians, I, they go from not really, I mean, they both were very spiritual growing up. I mean, there's definitely a long traction of, of, of faith around them. They just never had taken that believer that, that asking Jesus to be a part of their lives. Um, to, I literally, people look at me and go, oh my gosh, you're a preacher's kid and not in the rebellious way. Yeah. I went to the extreme where mother just, it's like she found a duck in water. She found the word was what she'd always been looking for. She had always been this feminist on her own. Like I said, she lost my brother. Um, and after, and she had lost her mother, her father, her brother. How old was her brother? She lost her no, own No, my brother. She lost my brother. And uh, my how brother, old was he? He was eight years old. And my mother had, um, be, had to, be, had gotten a divorce, which at that time was very much not looked forward upon. And she was a working career woman, a single mother. 
and she was coming home one day and she had left my, my brother with the nanny and she said she saw a ambulance pass her on her way on Buford Highway in Atlanta, Georgia. She says, I knew that ambulance was, was going to change my life. And she pulled in and what had happened is that the nanny's son had taken a gun outside um, out of the uh, Chester drawer of her parents and was jealous of my eight-year-old brother and how much the nanny loved my brother. Because he was just, he was an amazing kid, you know, and uh, had shot him point point blank. And and the nanny said she heard my brother begging for his life, please don't, and shot him right there. My mother in that previous year had lost her mother and her father to cancer. So she lost her entire world and she was an only child. And she, at that point, and so every time that I go through a hardship, every time that I go, I can't handle anymore, I think of how it felt with that. And there was so much horrible. I mean, could you think of, there's no worse nightmare than that right there happening to a woman. And yet somehow she found, open her eyes, she found to, to continue forward and that whole struggle that went with that. But out of such horrible tragedy came me. Because of that, she she went another direction than where her life was leading her. Wow. And she knew that the day that, I, that when she found out she was pregnant, she was going to make sure that it had a solid home for me and that she was going that that she was going to have a, a, a different life for me than what she had provided for my brother. And that's what sealed her and my father together for so well, because she wanted to have a father for her, her child and a family structure um, that would be more stable. And that's right. what I was raised in. Now, Angie, you know that you have children. I like to think that, you know, my children, I, I, I take them to church, but there are challenges growing up as a, as a Christian woman from day one. Um, I still go into church day we, and, and when they'll play with some of the old hymns that we played at church camp and, you know, I still well up with tears that that's mm-hmm. my foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I, I can see why you so admire your mother uh, making sure like how she didn't crumble under that pressure or, you know, turn to drugs or alcohol that she found her Christian faith. And you and I didn't even know that we had this in common, that my brother was murdered. He was um, a full, full-grown man in his early 30s. But I didn't know that we'd each, each lost a sibling. Um, your situation, extremely tragic, such uh, a, a young, you know, an eight-year-old being killed by a, a jealous kid. Um, so unbelievable to me. But just I have such admiration oh, for gosh. your mom taking that right path after that, because we hear time and time again that people, when they go through that much pain, they try to block it out with things that aren't of, you know, the Lord. And so, wow, that is amazing to me. And did you, were there any more kids in your family or did you end up then as um, an only child? I ended up then as an only child, which let me tell you, that can have its challenges. Now, growing up, it was awesome being, you know, the center of attention of mom and dad. It was great. I mean, I didn't have to worry about competing against other person's sports schedules. And when Christmas came, it was, you know, it was, it was wonderful for me. However, now as I've gotten older, I think that's where God has really tested my faith. Mm-hmm. And because I had two parents that were so in um, were so focused on me and because they, they wanted to protect me even more because of their past lives. Um, it, it's been very interesting as an adult to all of a sudden life does hit you. And now when you face these challenges of your parents getting older and getting sick and you're on your own and figuring out how, how you're going to pay for these things and making decisions for your parents by yourself and praying that you're making the right decisions. And at some point you want to go, wait a minute, I'm the kid here. You're the adults. You're supposed to be doing that. Um, that struggle right there, or also having my own children and, and having two, I don't know what to do with two kids, Angie. I, it's, it's <laughs> not in my repertoire. 
Um, when I met my husband and this is, you know, another God moment is, um, I had literally given up on dating. I had dated all these other flashy high rollers, these, you know, politicians, everything. And just, it, it looked good, but there was nothing there. And I literally came home on, on a, a Super Bowl night and I just cried to my mother and I said, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm 20, I believe it or not, 25, five years old. And in the South, you have to understand we're like on second child by oh, then. That's hilarious. Never going to get married. What am I, I'm never going to meet the right one. And the next morning I received an email from my girlfriend and she said, Scotty, I have been holding off on this because I just did not know how to say it. I said, but six weeks ago at a party, our Sunday school teacher met, uh, came, we were at my house and he picked up a picture of, of the 10 of us girls. And he looked at that picture and said, that girl right there, I want to meet her. That's the girl of my dreams. And I looked at him because he's a boy scout and he's sweet and he's nice. I said, no, you don't pick any other one besides that one right there. She's so fiery. She's so passionate. And he's very even kill. And he bugged her for six weeks. And finally on Super Bowl night, the same time as I'm crying to my mother, this Sunday wow. school teacher says to her, you're giving me her number, at least give me a chance. And we talked the next day. And after that, six, six months later, we were engaged, nine months later, married, nine months later, first kid. Wow. So it was totally, uh, you know, you, it's amazing to still be reminded that God does have a path for you if you're just willing to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, and so many of us want to put earplugs in and do our own plan. If you're just joining us on The Good News, we're talking to Scotty Nell Hughes, the author of Roar, The New Conservative Woman Speaks Out, and also the Chief Political Correspondent for USA Radio News. And my colleague, she joins me on Daybreak USA every morning for my show. So then you meet your husband, and you have these kids, and you've got two kids now. I also, besides parenting, because I know that's been a challenge for both of us, because you and I are total <laughs> working moms, and mm-hmm. my I didn't even think I'd have kids. I worked, you know, so many years in news and in different parts of the country. And you're really skinny and really tiny. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just saying. If, <laughs> if none of you have ever seen a picture of Angie, she is so gorgeous. I'm exactly opposite of her. We laugh that we're kind of like the, the I'm twins. I'm like your mini movie. me because you're like <laughs> six feet tall and I'm five feet tall. I can't wait for us to go to some of our, you know, radio conferences together. It's going to be hysterical. Yes. And then I'm going to bring you down south and feed you fried chicken and sweet tea. <laughs> and maybe I might get a chance to put some hips on you. A little bit hey, we're in Birmingham. I'm sure that they're big sweet tea lovers. I've oh, never... absolutely. Barbecue. They have the best oh. barbecue in Birmingham. Oh, if you've not. Girlfriend, you need to come down south. I do love barbecue. And I love southern manners. Yes. You know, I just think there's something beautiful about Southern manners and how charming Southern men are for that matter. And the women. All right. So love the South. All right. Let's talk. How did you get into politics as a single Southern woman? Um, I know you started on this career path fairly young. You were in the media eye. I was. And, you know, that's what's, what's amazing. I think it's because of the background. Um, and, and this is another God issue, how it came. My mother, because she had lost a child and she valued life so much at a very young age, I might not have understood what abortions were, but at six and seven years old, I was standing outside Planned Parenthood here in Nashville, Tennessee, holding signs, um, praying for people and doing the runs for life, the march for life. I, life is so important wow. to me. And so I started at that point and I, and more and more, it just grew to me to do the rallies and obviously, um, became more March for Jesus is a March for lives. And so the pro-life movement really, really got me. But actually I give my career and the reason why I'm here today 
I had the story about my brother and you know how hard it is to break it into this business. And I had gone in and out. I, I was actually, I've, I've been to Iraq, I've been to Gitmo, but always as a support staff, as a producer, um, supporting, supporting other people, which is great. I love that, that role, but I never actually got to have my voice. And when the horrible events that happened with Sandy Hook happened, um, I never, my mother chose never to tell me the truth of what happened to my brother. I knew he had been shot, but she'd given me more of a bubblegum story. Mm-hmm. And when Sandy Hook happened, she came to says, you're old enough now. I was 31 years old. You're old enough now. Let me tell you the truth of what it is. And that led to a conversation about the Second Amendment. And she says, all these people want to go against your rights and think they can, and people can't go against them because they're victims. They've had horrible tragedies happen in your life. You have too. Your life has been affected by it, mm-hmm. but you believe in protecting the Second Amendment. And I wrote an article about that whole story. And, and the most amazing thing was we had tried to get on network news on all sorts of different issues, try to get break into it. Magically, somehow, Pierce Morgan, doing his Guns America series, picked up the, the town hall story I did about the story of my family and my brother. And tracked my producer down, tracked my publicist down and called. And my publicist comes and says, I got good news and bad news for you. I said, okay, good news. We finally get this network. I mean, you have to understand 10 years of trying to break into the networks. Right. He says, we've got you this network. We've got your network here. I'm like, that's awesome. He says, bad news. It's going to be 150 live CNN studio audience handpicked by CNN. You will be the only female on there. And you will be one of four. You'll be the only person defending the Second Amendment. You have 48 hours to get to New York. But I finished that night. And my mother called me. And she said, you know, it's amazing. She says, first, I thought the light of, you know, when you were born, you, were, you healed. You were the good that came out of that tragedy. Daughter, talk about my son on national television. And for once, somebody actually knows his name because his sister brought it to light. Wait, say that again. Say that again. My mother called me and she says, 33 years after the death of my son, his sister goes on national television and says his name for every person to hear and tells his story. Yeah. And she says that right there. She says, I've, your brother is up in heaven just cheering for you. And I feel like every time, every media hit that I have, because it would not have, I mean, God, I would love to have my brother on this earth. There's no doubt. And that just shows, you know, we go through such trials and tribulations and we don't know why God is. And we, when we sit there, we blame God. I'm like, God, why are you making us do this? We don't understand. And he's not, he's not the one, but he, he you have to understand there's still a bigger, there's always a bigger picture. There's always an opportunity to be of witness. And you don't know why things are happening, but God does. And Mm -hmm. you have to have that faith and trust in him. So that brings us to politics. That's what got me back into it. So Angie, I'm sure my life and my faith is not separate from my life, from my work. So this is just just five years ago that you started um, getting on TV with your political views. It is. It is just now. I've always had them. I was in local talk radio. I, I still did talk radio, but actually getting on television because don't take this the wrong way. We talked about it earlier. I am not your stereotypical um, reporter. I am six foot tall. I do have hips. My southern accent comes out when I am, am sleeping. And I have an opinion. And while I have always studied and adored journalism, I've always had this opinion and this this desire to tell the story of, of the people, of the American people. But most importantly, the conservative 
the Christian to fight, to, to use the, the tools that we have, the ability to spread the message, to, to convey the message. That's my talent. Going into the liberal left media field, people go, why do you go on all these shows? Why do you go on Al Jazeera and try to defend the, the Christian faith? I said, because that's my mission field. Some people are drawn to people like Uganda and go to Haiti. I go to Al Jazeera. And, and I sit there, and that's how God sits there and calls you to your mission field, whatever it might be. It might be just down the street. It might be your neighbor's house. It doesn't have to be something. But I promise you, every faith, every Christian has a mission field, and you have to find it. That's why God puts you on this earth. No, I agree. And I love the whole idea of letting our light shine brightly to glorify the Lord in heaven like that girl did that led your mom to church. And boy, I hope if I come down to visit you for the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention, I get to meet your mom because I think that her story is amazing because she could have crumbled under that kind of pressure. Losing an eight-year-old to gun violence, I can't even wrap my head around. You and I have kids who are similar in age. Mine are six, eight, and ten. And I just can't even imagine, to be honest with you, how she survived it. But then again, a lot of times I wonder how people survive things without Jesus. And obviously she found him through this. We, you know what? We've all had trials and tribulations, and, 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 and this is a horrible, horrible field that we're in. I'll be honest with you. There's definitely more challenges, um, but it's amazing how my ground, everybody goes, how can you be so happy and peppy and the world's crumbling around you and you're dealing with this because I know that in the end, Jesus is the light of me. And I know that whether I sit there and beat somebody over the head with a scripture, which I have been known to do um, on the more progressive stations, because sometimes they ask for it. But also sometimes I might not even say a word. They all know that there's something different about me. There's some yeah. sort of light. And yeah. it's amazing. You know, when I go against these people that are extremely, and this is in life too, is friendships. When I go against these people that are just mean and angry and bitter, and I'm like, I did nothing to you. I said, good morning. <laughs> Comes to find out usually they're not a believer. They don't have faith. They don't have that. And so they see that in me and they want to just turn sour on me. And I find that to be even more of a challenge to, to say, you know what? You can be this way too. You don't yeah. have to hate the world. In fact, you can love yourself. You can love the world. And this is how. Yeah. That's my that's my goal in life. Love it. Well, Scotty Nell Hughes, such a pleasure to have you on The Good News. I have you every morning on Daybreak USA. And we, I just appreciate your friendship and your expertise. We have such a great time on the radio. I want to make sure that people um, can find you on social media and other places and uh, your book. So how can we find you and Roar, the new conservative woman speaks out, Scotty Nell Hughes? Well, definitely, please. And I, and I went with a Christian publisher because I did not want to have it edited. So trust me, it, it starts off. I'm a gun-toting, Bible-thumping, baby-loving, sweet tea-drinking. It go, And I imagine most women can definitely, but even men, could relate to the story. So go to Roar. You can go to any of your bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Costco. Go on Amazon.com. It's still there. Um, even despite being released a year and a half ago, it still seems Lifeway Christian stores. It still is. is I'm blessed to still have it in circulation. And then um, please follow me on Twitter. Angie, you and I tweet all the time. So if they follow you, I guarantee I'll pop up somewhere in their world. Excellent, Scotty Nell. Hughes, love you. Thank you. Thank you. Come to any of the YMCA of the Rockies locations to fill your days and nights with our exciting and educational programs and activities. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we put Christian principles into practice with our fun and informative programs. And our facilities are located in stunning environments that help build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. We also provide conferences of a religious 
educational or recreational nature, and we specialize in offering traditional summer camping experiences for boys and girls. At the YMCA of the Rockies, every season brings affordable fun and excitement for the entire family. YMCA of the Rockies has locations near Winter Park, Rocky Mountain National Park, and Grand Lake. Go to ymcaoftherockies.org. Whether you are looking for adventure, a better way to connect with your family, or just a relaxing stroll, we can set you on your way. That's ymcaoftherockies.org. Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the good news. If you like the good news program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com, AngieAustinRadio.com. Just click on contact me. I would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now, and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Angie Austin here. Have you thought about uh, how to attract and retain good employees with the economy the way that it is right now? Well, Willie Pinkston is here to help, and he's helped my family for years now. My husband has his own business, and I've worked with Willie in various capacities. And Willie, with Podium Benefits, you actually can help people attract and retain good employees, and that's through the benefits package, right? Yep, absolutely. So how does that work exactly? You know, people, I know when they're applying with my husband's company, say, do you have benefits? And when they say no, they're more attracted to a job that does. That, that's absolutely right. I mean, we hear, we hear it probably three or four times a week, you know, if we're having a conversation with a, with a new prospective client. And they can be as small as, you know, you used to think of benefits um, for like large companies, Fortune 1000 or Fortune 5000 companies, you know, hundreds of employees. And that's not the case anymore. Um, it can be as small as a, uh, a franchise with two or three or four employees. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman on Friday and he has a four or five employee company mm-hmm. and he is having a hard time finding a new salesperson. <laughs> Um, because uh, he's, he's lost two or three, um, not like he wasn't able to hire them, even though he wanted to simply because he does not have a, like a health and wellness benefit package. So, uh, employees, there's study after study after study that show that they're willing to take a, even a little bit less in cash compensation for a, for a good quality benefit package. Well, and one um, thing I found with you is it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg to offer this to your employees. That's correct. Yeah, there's really, the, one of the nice things is that employers, um, you know, benefits doesn't mean that the employer now has to fund 100%. Matter of fact, we really encourage our clients to not pay for it 100% for their employees. I think it's a healthy thing for the employee to have some skin in the game and um, and there's two different ways employers can do it. One is they can pick out a defined number. We call it a defined contribution. So a lot of times it's you know two, three, four, five, six hundred dollars per employee per month, or they can um, they can decide to pay a certain percentage. Um, so either one of those is fine. But but th- at the end of the day, they get to decide. 
like the owner or the management team gets to decide how much they want to fund towards benefits and it does not have to be a hundred percent matter again we 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 find that if the employer is paying a hundred percent um after a year or two the employees they they kind of become out of touch with how much health care uh at least health care insurance um costs so it's good it's good that you know every year it's going to go up the employer is going to pay a little bit more the employee is going to pay a little bit more via payroll deduction so um yeah it's Let's talk a little bit about um, the size of the business you like to work with. Yeah, my I would say, you know, ideally, um, my clients, they usually have, you know, somewhere between 15 and about 100 employees. Um, that's kind of the sweet spot that we that we really, you know, find that we can help them, serve them. We, we have enough, you know, our, our tools are kind of designed for that size of client. Um, if they have a thousand employees, that's usually not kind of the businesses that we typically work with. So if you are an employee and you want your small to mid-sized business to get benefits, they can contact Willie at Podium Benefits. Uh, if you're the owner of one of these companies or one of the managers can contact Willie. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you may be uh, an employee and you just really want to stay with this company and you'd like your boss to look into this and you want to contact Willie to get him in contact with the business owner, that is uh, an option as well. I would say one of the things that I like about what you've done for us in the past, Willie, is that you break everything down for us. So rather than show me, you know, 100 different plans and <laughs> options, you'll break it down to what you think will work best for us. And uh -huh. then secondly, you're very responsive. If I reach out to you, I hear from you quickly, whether you pick up the phone right away or call me back that day or email me right away answering my questions, you're very responsive. Is that the kind of feedback you get from other clients as well? Yeah, it is. That's the, uh, um, that, that's very normal. You know, 24 hours is a long time in our business. So we try to, you know, I try to make it a point to, even if I don't have the answer right away, to at least acknowledge their email, acknowledge their voicemail, say I'm working on it, um, and I'll get back to you, you know. But, yeah, uh, you know, obviously people just want to know that they want to feel important. They want to feel um, that that their question and their issue is important. And uh, and so we try to try to do that. And quite honestly, you know, um, we hear a lot that, you know, this health insurance thing or this benefit thing is very brain damaging. It's very overwhelming. It's very, you know, bleh. So, so I try to do everything in my power to package it in a way that's kind of easy to absorb, easy to digest, and then hopefully somewhat easy to make a decision. Um, you know, yes, let's do this, or, you know, no, let's not, or, um, you know, kind of like people don't want to have to, you know, they, they don't want to have to sift through 19 pages of, right. of stuff, you right. know, like a big and stack. feel dumb. Yeah. Yeah, um, nobody likes to feel dumb. You narrow it down for us. Uh, and uh, yeah. trustworthy. I also feel uh, you're very trustworthy, and we've done business with you for years, and I've uh, been happy each time we have. All right, Willie, how do people find you? So uh, three three different options. One is, is uh, you can just go to our website. It's just podiumbenefits.com. Um, you can email me at willie at podiumbenefits.com, or you can call me here at the office, 720 316 1920 Excellent. Thanks, Willie. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com.